series. And tonight our, our, our title is going to be The Victory of the Kingdom. Everybody say victory. Victory of the Kingdom. Now, I don't have a text scripture tonight that I'm just going to kick us off and start us off with, but I've got a ton of scripture uh, that I'm going to go over. I told Lori before we left, I think tonight I've got the longest passage of scripture I've ever heard read in a church service, and I'm a little nervous about it because it's so long, but I've, I've got, the, Brother Anthony, the longest passage of Scripture, but I want to read every bit of it to you tonight, and I want to get you to help me read it when we come to it at the very end. But I want to talk to you about the victory of the kingdom. You know, in the Word of God, we read about a people who are very important in the Scripture. In fact, the Scripture is mostly about them. And, of course, the people that I'm referring to are the Hebrew people. We also know them as the Israelites or as the Jews. And this word Hebrews, it has a special meaning to it that describes the nature of who these people were. You see, the word for Hebrews in the Hebrew language is the Ivrim. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's the Ivrim, I-V-R-I-M. And it means those who cross over, or those, Brother Nick, who are on a journey, who have crossed over from one place to another. Those who have crossed over and left something behind in order to embrace something that is ahead of them and is of greater value than what it is that they left behind. And, of course, Abraham, of course, he wasn't called Abraham, Brother Eddie, at the beginning. It was Abram. But Abram is the first, or he's the first Hebrew mentioned in the Bible. We read about it in Genesis 15. It refers to him as a, as a Hebrew. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, we read that the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Notice that God's first call to Abraham was get out and leave this place that you're in. In other words, get out of your country and leave it behind and go to the land that I'm going to show you. And then all of the rest, all of the blessings, the land I'm going to give you, the son I'm going to give you in your old age, the great nation that I'm going to make of you, all of these promises to Abraham were contingent upon Abraham obeying God and leaving behind the place that was familiar to him and crossing over into the place that God directed him to go. So from that point forward, Abraham was one who had crossed over. He had left behind what was familiar to him in order to enter into the place that God wanted him to go. He became a man on a journey, a pilgrim. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 10, the Bible says, By faith Abraham, 
when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham crossed over. Abraham left everything that was familiar to him behind and went to a strange land that he had never been to because God called him to go there, and he went looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. So Abraham valued the promises of God so highly that he stepped out in faith, not knowing exactly where it was that he was going, but he knew that God was going to fulfill his promise. So I'm talking tonight, we're only talking about the kingdom. I'm talking about a kingdom journey. Abraham was a man on a journey. He was one who left behind something in order to lay hold of something of greater value. And we know that the Hebrews, for a period of time, they were slaves down in Egypt. And to get out of Egypt, they had to cross over the Red Sea. And then before they could get into the Promised Land, they again, Brother Eddie, had to cross over the Jordan River. They were a people who had crossed over. Before they could enter into the new land, they had to leave the old land behind. Now, the spiritual application, I don't keep beating a dead horse and going on and on, but the spiritual application here is you can't enter into the holy things of God unless you're willing to leave the old life behind. You've got to be willing to leave the old behind in order to enter into what God has for you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can't enter into what God has for you unless you're willing to exit and leave behind the old life that God is calling you from. You've got to be willing to leave behind your old way of living. You've got to be willing to leave behind your old way of thinking. And then once you've made that choice to exit those things, then you can enter into the blessings and promises of God. Praise the Lord. Now, if you're here tonight and you've made a choice to live for God, you've repented of your sins, you know what I'm talking about because you have done this. There are things that you have left behind you. There was a time in your life when you made decisions, you made choices to leave some things behind. There are things that you don't do anymore. There are places that you don't continue to go to. There are people that you don't run with anymore. And this is important because there are some things that you can't do and there are some things that you can't take with you on the journey with the Lord. Praise the Lord. So before the Hebrews could get to where God wanted to take them, they had to first leave where they were and then once they were willing to leave and willing to cross over, then God could take them into the place he wanted them to be. Now it's a place of blessing. It's a place of mercy. It's a place of grace. Jesus said in St. John chapter 10 and verse 10 that the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. 
Everything that God wants to do for us is contingent upon getting this part right. You've got to be willing to leave some things behind if you're going to cross over to the Lord's side and walk hand in hand with the Lord. Praise God. And then when you cross over to the Lord's side, you're now on the winning side. Now, I'm going to tell you, I changed teams a long time ago. And I was on the losing side, Sister Gail, at one time in my life. I thought I was having a big time and living it up and all of that stuff, but I was on the losing side. And I remember the day, I remember the night when I made the choice, Brother Anthony, to cross over. I remember that very day when I made that choice to cross over. And, and I'm going to say this. Uh, I remember my decision. There were things in my life that were connected to me that were a big part of my life that I had to leave behind. Now, I have always been, I was then, I am now, uh, I've always been a lover of music. I love music. Nobody here loves and enjoys our praise and worship musicians, our praise team, any more than I do because I love music. I always have. And I remember when I made that choice, Sister Gail, to really get serious with God and cross over. I had a big rock music collection, Anthony. And all that music, to me, it was all connected to the drugs, the lifestyle I was living. Edwin, you remember, you and me ran around together some. And I, 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 the garbage man at my house got a big surprise one morning when they showed up and there was a garbage can full of everything from Led Zeppelin albums to, to oh goodness, Molly Hatchet to uh, Leonard's, you know, all, all that stuff that went with that lifestyle. I was willing to lay some things aside and leave some things behind so I could get a hold of what was greater and better and of greater value. Praise God, and I don't miss any of that stuff one bit because what the Lord has given me in its place is so much better. Praise God. Part two. So you got to be willing to cross over. And then when you're willing to cross over, you get on the winning side. And, and I want to, the rest of this tonight, I want to talk about the victory of this kingdom we're a part of. The victory of the kingdom. Now, I can't tell you how everything in your life is going to go, but one thing I can certainly tell you is no matter what happens to you in this temporary life, we are winners through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing the devil can do to change the fact that you're on the winning side. Praise God. Praise God. We, you may check out of here with cancer. You may check out of here in a car wreck. You may check out of here with a stroke. But none of those things can change the fact that through Jesus, we win. So let me talk about that a little bit. So let me fill you in on the details and tell you what the Lord has done for us. You see, there's the kingdom of Satan, and there's the kingdom of God. And everything Satan has in his kingdom has been stolen He's a thief, he's a robber, he's a murderer, and he's a destroyer. And after the fall of man, you know the story, the devil, that serpent, he deceived and he tricked Eve and, and Adam and they fell into sin and they brought the curse of sin upon this world. And when they brought the curse of sin on this world, 
it wasn't just on human beings, but it was on the entire creation that a curse, everything that lives on the planet at some point dies all because of that curse. And that's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, the whole creation is groaning and waiting until that day when the Lord comes and we receive our glorified bodies and that curse is lifted off of this world. The whole creation, it groans and it travails waiting longing for that glorious day. It's called in the scripture the day of the Lord. It's called the restitution of all things. Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 3 verse 20 and 21 says, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things. There's going to be a restitution, a restoration, back to a perfect paradise is coming it's eventually going to happen and which god has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began so satan kidnapped he hijacked and kidnapped god's precious creation brought death upon humanity brought death and the curse of sin and death came into the came into the world and after the fall of man Satan, and I'll back this up in a second, Satan had the power or was delivered unto him the power of death. He controlled the realm of the dead, I believe this, which in Hebrew is called Sheol. And by saying controlled, it meant he had authority or jurisdiction over it. Now, if you doubt this to be the case, look with me in the scripture to the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. And it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, Jesus is talking about, that through death he might destroy or disarm him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The Lord entered into death and dis to destroy or to disarm the devil of his greatest weapon over man. And that's the power of death. So at one time, Satan had the power of death. He had power over the realm of the dead. And the word for the realm of the dead in Hebrew is Sheol. The Greek word is Hades. And Jesus, when he died on the cross... And he cried out, it is finished. He paid the price for our redemption. And then he entered. Now, he told the thief on the cross, he said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. But we know that before the Lord went into paradise, the Bible says in, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, now that he ascended. Now, y'all all know the Lord ascended, right? That's when he went up into glory. He ascended, Acts chapter 1. But before he ascended, he had something else he had to do first. The Bible says, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? So Jesus, when he died on the cross, he entered into death's domain. He went down into Sheol or Hades. And I want you to know when he went down there, 
into Satan's stronghold. He didn't go as a captive. He didn't go, Brother Anthony, as a hostage. But he came, he kicked the door in, and he went into death's domain. He went right into Satan's stronghold as a victorious conqueror. Praise the Lord. And he marched in with authority and great power. And he took the keys of hell and of death from the devil and stripped him of the authority that he had had over that area up until that point. Jesus stripped it from him. So now, this is, this is kind of, this is not my notes, but I was going to say, now death is not something that we're supposed to fear. Death is not something we're supposed to fear. You know how we're supposed to view death? We're supposed to view death as just a passageway from this body into the presence of God. If you're a born-again child of God, death is simply a passageway into the presence of God. So Jesus stripped the devil of his power over death and the domain of death. He entered into death. He disarmed and destroyed the devil who had the power of death. And he took away from him any control he had over the realm of the dead. So Satan no longer has the keys to his own house. Revelations chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. It says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. In other words, I possess the very keys to Satan's house. I control, the, I control death's domain. So Jesus... He stripped Satan's control over the realm of the dead. He disarmed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And I love this next part. And Satan's, y'all know what the name Satan means? It's a Hebrew word. When you say, I can't speak Hebrew. When, when you say Satan, you're speaking Hebrew. It's not an English word. It's a Hebrew word. And Satan means the accuser. That's what it means. It means the adversary or the accuser. And I love this part. Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, Satan's accusatory powers against us have been overcome by the blood of the Lamb, which he shed for our salvation. Now, you know what that means is before, Satan had a, Satan had a leg up on man. He, could, he, would go, he had that held over man, man's guilt, Man's sin, if you could think of a courtroom, the Lord God Almighty being the judge, Satan the prosecuting attorney, and the man Christ Jesus. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And the man Christ Jesus is our mediator or our intercessor, our advocate. You know what an advocate is? It's a defense attorney. So Satan's accusing powers against us have been overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Everybody say, it is finished. When Jesus died on the cross, 
And I'm talking about the victory of the kingdom, y'all. I'm trying to tell you what you possess. I'm trying to tell you what you have to build your faith and make you strong and strong in your confidence in the Lord. When Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. What he was saying, and these were some of the last words out of his mouth. He cried out, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. When he cried out, it is finished, he was saying, the price for man's redemption has been paid. Redemption has been bought. The pardon for mankind, their salvation is secured. In Revelation chapter 12, we're talking about that accuser, the devil. Verse 10 and 11, it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So before the cross, there was a constant stream of accusation against humanity going on by the devil, that prosecuting attorney, accusing us before the Lord day and night. But he says here, the accuser of our brethren is cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives to the death. How did it say that the brethren, that's you and I, folks, that's us. How did it say that the brethren overcame the accusations of Satan, the accuser? How did they overcome them? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So the accuser has been cast down. He's been overcome. He's lost his arguments of accusation against us. His arguments no longer stand up in the courtroom of God. Not that we weren't guilty, we were. But his arguments no longer stand because of the prevailing blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us of our guilt and our sin. He can no longer say guilty, guilty, guilty because on our behalf the blood says grace, pardon, mercy, and forgiveness. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So the Lord took the devil's chief weapons away. He took away the, the, his accusatory powers against us. He took away the power of death from the devil. He stripped him of that. He stripped him of death's domain. So death is no longer something to fear for a child of God. And, and, and then he, he transfers that victory to those who put their faith and trust in him, who come to him, who get born again. But when the Lord did all this, i got to share one other scripture on this. So when the Lord, the Lord did all this, not only did he, he bring us the victory, but I'll tell you what else he did. He did a little victory dance. He did a little in-your-face devil. I want you to look with me, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. Apostle Paul says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way. Where did he put it? Nailing it to his cross. And 
having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let me reread that New King James Version. It says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He humiliated the devil. He went into the devil's stronghold, Brother Donovan, and he humiliated the devil in front of all the hordes of darkness. He stripped them. He disarmed them. He made a public spectacle of them. He humiliated the devil. He had a victory parade, a celebration. That's our champion I'm talking about tonight. That's the kingdom that we're a part of tonight. That's the one who's over the kingdom we're a part of. We're on the side of the winner, the victorious, the champion, and he did all of this for us through the cross. So the devil tonight, the devil has no claim on you. If you've got the blood of Jesus Christ on your life, the devil has no claim on you. And it's all because you made a choice at some point in time in your life to become one of the Hebrews, the Ivorim, the people who cross over. You made a choice one day, Edwin, to cross over. I made a choice one day to cross over. And when I crossed over, I became a part of the Lord's kingdom, and I got on the winning side, Brother Nick, and now I've got the victory that's not based as my pastor bishop for 30 as he's taught me all these years. It's not based on how I feel, but it's based on the reality of what he's done and what he's given to us. Praise the Lord. It's not just a feeling, but it's a reality. Now the victory, oh, he can give you a good feeling. You get singing victory in Jesus and this and that. And you, you feel good deep down in your soul. But it's not based on how you feel. It's based on what he's done. That's what it's based on and in our faith and trust in him. And that's why it said they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Your faith, the Bible says man believes with a heart and then he confesses with the mouth. There's got to be a faith in the heart and a confession of the mouth of what the Lord has done. And it's that faith and trust that connects us to him. Praise God. I'm winding it down. I'm going to be finished in 10 minutes, and y'all are going to have to help me on this last part, okay? But just a, we're, get, we're going to get there in just a second. But Genesis 3.15, I love this passage of Scripture. It says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. This is the Lord talking to the devil in the Garden of Eden. He said, it's going to bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, we know that Jesus bruised the devil's head at Calvary. We know that. But there's still some things to be done, okay? In fact, the Bible says he's using the church. Paul said the Lord's going to crush Satan under your feet. Praise God. He's still using the seed of the woman to crush Satan's head. But there's some bigger things coming. Now, Satan's a wounded foe. I, I think of anything tonight you ought to believe, you understand that Satan is a wounded foe. I've showed you tonight how the Lord stripped him of his main powers against us. He's a wounded foe. But the last time I checked, there's still principalities and powers at work in the world today, working against the church, 
working against righteousness, working against the kingdom of God. There's still death in the land. There's still sorrow and pain and misery. And all this time, because the times of the restitution of all things has not yet came, but that day is coming. In other words, there's still a rebellion going on out there. Satan's a wounded foe, but he hasn't been just completely crushed and put out of the way yet. But that day's coming. Oh, the church, there's some things ahead of us. There's some glorious things. Let me tell you, all the best stuff's in our future. It's not behind us. The best stuff is in our future. Let me read to you a few other scriptures, then y'all are going to help me. 1 Corinthians 15, 23 through 26, just to make the point that I'm talking about. The Bible says, Paul said, but every man in his own order. He's talking about the resurrection. Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end. Now the end hadn't came yet. But then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So the Lord, the Bible says, he... He shall, when he shall have put down all rule, all authority, and all power. So the accuser's been cast down, but the devil's still working in the world. He's still tearing up things. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, but the day's coming. There's a great day coming. And I want to read to you, and here's where you're going to help me. You're going to read with me. I want to read to you, Brother David read us some of these scriptures the other night, but I want to go back and just reread them and a few more with them. I want to read to you God's narrative. God, y'all know what a narrative is. That's a story. Like if I write a story about this or about that, you call it, it's called a narrative. It's a story. And God gives us his narrative in his own words in the book of Revelation through the apostle John. And in his narrative, he describes three things, and this is what we're going to read. He describes the final defeat and overthrow of the devil and all who oppose the lordship of Christ. Number two, he describes in his story, he describes the final victory over all evil. Number three, he describes the victory and reward of the saints. Now, here's where we're going to have our long scripture reading, and then we're going to close. It's going to take us six, seven minutes to read this. Y'all going to help me? If I don't hear some voices, I'm going to stop and say, I can't hear you because my voice will give out reading all this. But Revelations chapter 19, let's start here. Verse 6 through 21. Y'all read with me. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife, that's you and I, has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. 
I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven open, here the Lord's coming, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it, him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, follow, or clothed in heaven, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth go the sharp sword. Y'all know what that is? That's the Word of God. Out of his mouth goes the word of God, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sat on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast. Here's Satan incarnate, or his, 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 his uh, servant. I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. That's the victorious coming of our Lord over the power of Satan and his vessels in the earth. But then he goes on with it. Revelations 20, 1-15. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand he laid hold of the dragon that serpent of old who is the devil and satan and bound him for a thousand years and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished but after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Oh, I want to be in that resurrection, don't you? 
Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Now, now I don't have the answers to all this, okay? I'm just reading to you God's narrative. You sort it out and decipher it out for yourself, but I'm giving you God's story. I'm giving you God's narrative of the final wrapping up of, of all uh, that opposes God. And then he goes on to say, verse 7, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And here's where the devil meets his end. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now it doesn't sound to me like the devil's going to win, Pastor Nick. It don't sound like the devil's side is the winning side. Now, he may try to magnify himself and roar like a lion and do all this stuff to say, look at my power, how great I am, and all the havoc that I can wreck and what I can do. But here he is humbled, brought down to the pit, cast into the lake of fire, and he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And by the way, the lake of fire was not created for you. And it was not created for me. The lake of fire was created for the devil and his angels. Then we see the final judgment. Then I saw it, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. Oh, friend, you want your name in the Lamb's book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. What did it say the last enemy it shall be destroyed is? Is death. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the final overthrow of the rebellion against God. That's the final end of all those who rebel against God. That's the final overthrow of those who don't make a choice to cross over, to get on the Lord's side. Now let's look about the final victory for the saints. And we're going to close with this. But Revelations 21, 1 through 8. Now, are y'all still helping me read? I don't think many of y'all are. Y'all help me on this? Come on, help me get through this. It's going to take us about three minutes. Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Revelations 22, and this is the last. And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And the middle of its street and on either side of the river was a tree of life. We hadn't seen it, Brother Anthony, since the book of Genesis. On either side of the street or either side of the river was a tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They shall need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy. Verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And here's that final invitation. We're at the last of the Bible here. There's only three more verses in the whole Bible. And it ends, the Bible, your Bible, my Bible, ends with this. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And that's the end of the book. That's the end of God's story. That's God's narrative he's given us to let us know evil is going to be overthrown 
It's going to be placed under his feet. Righteousness and goodness is going to prevail. And those who have chosen to cross over onto the Lord's side are on the winning side and are going to reign with him forever and ever and ever. Amen. Will you say we win? We win. You know, one thing's different, and I'm closing. Brother Nick, if you want to come on up. I'm closing with this. One thing that's different about the things in the kingdom versus how things in the world work. You know, many things in the world, you get the best on the front end, and then the next day you're left with an after effect. You go to the party, you do this or that, and it temporarily makes you feel good, and then the next day you feel terrible about what you've done and you experience the hangover or whatever it may be. With God, the best doesn't come first. That's something we've got to realize. The best doesn't come first with God, but the best is at the end. The best comes last, and the ending is the very best part. And as good as some of his blessings are right now, and I'm thankful for the blessings of God, I'm thankful for peace, I'm thankful for his presence, I felt right here in this service, but we don't get the best until the very end. But the best is still out there, and God has given us a witness. I bought some real estate recently. Oh, from Sister Gail. I bought some real estate. No, this, hold on, I'm, I'm mixed up. <laughs> this is where I sold my house, forgive me. It was a real estate trans. I sold my house. Okay, I did buy some real estate from Sister Gail. I'm, I'm building a house over there by her on some land that joins her. But when I sold my house, Brother Beecham, the, the gentleman that bought my house, good guy here in town, he's a banker, and uh, he paid me some money up front so I wouldn't sell it to anybody else. He said, I'm going to give you some earnest money. That's a down payment to show that I'm going to come through and give you the whole thing. You just got to give me a couple weeks, a few weeks. And he gave me an earnest deposit on my house, which meant if he didn't buy the house, I got to keep the deposit. It was mine from the point of time he gave it to me. It, it was mine. The Lord did the same thing for us, Apostle Paul said. The best is at the end, but the Bible says that he gave you the Holy Spirit as the earnest or as a deposit to let you know all this stuff I read to you about tonight in God's story, the Word of God, it's all real and it's coming. And he wants us to know this is a real deal. I give you a deposit. Just hold on. Keep trusting. Keep walking. Keep living for me. And the best is yet to come. Y'all can stand. I'm sorry. I, no, I took longer than I normally do. Pastor Nick's going to come and close it out. But we're on the winning side. Praise the Lord. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? We are on the winning side.